0: You're listening to the Resurgent ATL Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. I mean with this with all sincerity, um, not to flatter you, but this is without a doubt one of my favorite stops every year. Um, and I do have the opportunity to be in a lot of places throughout the year, but I always look forward to my time with you. And especially with Chris and Terry and the rest of the family, they mean a great deal to us. They really do. Uh, This morning, I'd like for you to turn with me, if you would, uh, in your Bibles to Mark's Gospel. And let's read from essentially uh, the memoirs of Peter. Uh, In case you didn't know, Mark is the one that is responsible for recording these events, but. He really is taking dictation from Peter, and um, that that may have been just a bit of trivial information for you, Uh, but there'd be more to explore there, maybe at another time. Uh, But I would like to read from a particular episode that I'm sure that most of you are familiar with, Uh, but maybe as we return to these well-worn passages of Scripture, there might be something very possibly, that we overlooked. I found that to be true over the years. And uh, so in Mark's gospel, chapter 4, beginning in verse 35, on that day, this is in the wake of Jesus teaching extensively the parables concerning the seed and the sower. So I don't know how long it took him to unpack These rich parables concerning concepts about the kingdom of God, but it's obvious that it is coming to the close of this particular day. And it says, On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. That statement should be something that immediately captures our attention because of what follows. and said to the sea peace be still and the wind ceased and there was a great calm and he said to them why are you so afraid have you still no faith and they were filled with great fear and said to one another who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him now i want to talk to you about navigating transition That's why I emphasize the statement that Jesus made, let us pass over and what follow. Transition is a word that we commonly use to describe a shift or a change in direction or purpose. Transition really is a part of the ongoing curriculum of life. Often I see people that maybe I have not seen in quite a while, and I inquire, how have you been? And I can't tell you how many times people respond by saying, I'm in transition. Uh, and I, just being honest with you, I chuckle a little bit under my breath because you came into this world when your mother went into transition. And you will leave this world by transitioning from this realm into another. And in between, there are a series of transitions. So, would it be fair to say that you are either entering a transition, in the middle of a transition, or on your way to another transition? (laughs) I think so. So your entire life is about a sequence of transitions, and these transitions can be extremely disruptive, incredibly disorienting. My definition of transition is this nebulous, ambiguous space between where you've been and where you're going. If you've ever had this feeling, which is extremely unique when you are stepping off a dock that has stability to it, onto a boat that has, they've just released the ropes, it's no longer tethered, and uh, it's doing this buoyant thing. And when you step, there cannot be any hesitancy, can there? You're either going or you're not. There's nowhere in between, is there? I think that this is uh, probably, you know, not only a relevant subject for all of you individually, but I also am somewhat aware of where you are corporately as well. I want to assure you that most of us don't really fear the unknown as much as we fear what we think we're certain of concerning the unknown. That's what you fear. It's not the things you don't know that give you trouble, but the things that you are certain of that just aren't so. So you find yourself in this ambiguous space that I talked about. And I, I, I think I'm talking to the right people when I say that there is a certain security in things remaining constant and, same, and, and the same. It's Again, it's disruptive and it's disorienting when things begin to change. Now, when it comes to transitions, there are some that are predictable. There are some of them that are seamless in nature. I knew when I was going to graduate high school. There was a date set on the calendar. I was able to emotionally and mentally prepare myself for that particular transition. I knew when I would graduate college, I knew that in July 22, 1978, dating myself, 45 years ago, that I would marry this woman that I would pursue for years to come. I knew that. I was able to prepare for that. But, obviously, there are some transitions that are not predictable. They. Turn everything upside down. The loss of a family member, the loss of a job. It goes on and on and on. You just didn't see it coming. And most of us, when that happens, it brings us to a renewed awareness that faith and predictability cannot coexist. They cannot coexist. To me, spiritual progress, all spiritual progress and maturity goes in this way. It goes from knowing to unknowing to a new knowing. From knowing to unknowing to a new knowing. It's in that transitional point of unknowing that is so incredibly unsettling. And really what it's revealing to all of us is our desperate need to control outcomes are you there (laughs) I mean even those of us that appear to be not so much a controlling personality when we're put in that situation then it manifests doesn't it that's where we begin to realize if we're going to progress, if we're going to proceed, then we're going to have to come to terms with all of the unknowns, the ambiguities that I've already referenced. To me, the most difficult type of learning is unlearning. Have you found that to be true? It really is the most difficult type of learning. You know, when it comes to learning, there are certain things that you gravitate toward that you engage with. And, I mean, it's something that you absorb and assimilate without any problem. But then when you're faced with recognizing that many of the things that you have known are not necessarily inaccurate, but they certainly are incomplete, that's where we're faced with this difficult process of unlearning now at my age i am very very familiar with that this unlearning process you know right when i feel like that i have all of my questions answers answered it seems that god changes the questions Do any of you have difficulty when you're praying, keeping God on the subject? (laughs) You think it's your mind wandering, but you exercise great intentionality in praying. And I mean, you're earnestly and passionately, as we would say, pressing in. And it seems like that God is not interested in talking about that. This is the unlearning process that is so difficult for all of us. And I, you know, I talk to people all the time that have difficulty in this area because uh, most of them will never really understand anything because they think they understand everything way too soon. So, the background to my text, I've always already referenced it to some degree. Jesus has been teaching throughout the day. If you go back in chapter 4, you will see that he is sitting in the bow of a boat, or actually the stern of the boat, and the crowds have gathered to him, and oh, the profundity of what he had to share. It's They're beginning to lose daylight, and Jesus looks at them, and he says, let us pass over to the other side. Now, allow your imagination to engage a bit, if you will, so I can see that in this moment as they're losing daylight, the sun is dropping down over the horizon, and Jesus gets up and he finds a comfortable place in the stern of the ship, and he curls up on a cushion and begins to go to sleep. The disciples shove off, and as they do, you can hear the chirping of the crickets and the croaking of the frogs, the gentle lapping of the water against the side of this primitive fishing boat. The Sea of Glass, uh, the, the Sea of Galilee is like glass. It's placid. There's no resistance. I don't think that Jesus was caught unaware by what was getting ready to happen, but they certainly were. Now, when we refer to the Sea of Galilee, that's somewhat of a misnomer because the Sea of Galilee is just basically a large lake. It's only about nine miles wide. And 13 miles long at its deepest depth. It's only about 200 feet. That really doesn't sound like a body of water that should be referred to as a sea, does it? So why do you think that it's referred to as the Sea of Galilee or some of the narrator's sea of Jacinaret? It's because of its unpredictable character it's nestled down several hundred feet below sea level surrounded by mountains and what would happen is that the barometric pressure could drop drastically with just within a few minutes and the cold wind from off the mountains would sweep down onto the sea of galilee causing it to churn and to convulse Just in a matter of minutes. I think Peter, if you allow me, I think Peter must have been looking back at Jesus as he falls to sleep and he is contemplating, he is remembering everything or doing his best to remember everything that Jesus said that day. And uh, you've got to remember that the men on board are seasoned sailors they had been in storms before but they'd never been in a storm like was a, what was about to occur never maybe prior to this as they are cutting across the water unresisted the skies above them are clear and the stars look like diamonds cast against black velvet But now the winds begin to descend off the mountains, the the, the sky is black with clouds, suddenly there is deafening thunder and blinding lightning and rain that is coming with such velocity because of the winds, it's coming horizontal. I mean they can feel it stinging their face. the boat begins to fill up. I mean, if you were reading attentively the text, you will notice it says that the boat was already full. That in itself defies the laws of buoyancy, doesn't it? But they were so obsessed with their present circumstance in their transition, they saw this as problematic They saw this as something that was threatening, when in reality it was a part of the process to get from where they'd been to where God wanted to take them. You'll never find any transition in all of the Scriptures, I challenge any of you, any of the major transitions that take place in Scripture that are not met with incredible odds and resistance. Jesus is sleeping through this. And I'm sure that there are many people that would consider that, you know, hard to comprehend. How could he sleep through that? How could he sleep through these guys as they're screeching and screaming? How could he sleep through this boat that is like a matchbox that is being carried up on these swells several feet high and then slammed down into the trench, into the trough of that swell. And then back up again. You can imagine how incredibly disorienting this could be. By now, they're not quite sure where the other shore is. If there are people here this morning that are in a very disorienting storm, I want to encourage you and let you know that you're in a really good place. It appeared that Jesus was the one who was asleep and that they were wide awake. The truth is Jesus had a greater and higher sense of consciousness than they did. He was the one that was fully awake. They were the ones that were sleepwalking. These guys are losing their lunch. I don't know how, I mean, I read that text to you just in a matter almost of less than a minute. But here they are now in the middle of the lake. What am I talking to you about navigating transition? They're in the middle of the lake, in the middle of the night, being tossed like a toy. Jesus is sound asleep, and they have forgotten the last thing that he said. Let us pass over. I assure you, I I know the exhilaration. I'm very much familiar with the euphoria that you feel whenever God speaks to you vividly and unmistakably concerning the trajectory of your life, where he wants to take you. But I'm also very familiar with the emotional and mental storms that we get in between here and there. Am I talking to the right people at all? there is always a process between the realization and the actualization of your purpose the realization of your purpose can come in an instant but the process that leads to the actualization of that purpose sometimes is incredibly protracted that is filled again with all kinds of nebulous feelings and ambiguity, did I hear from God? It gets to the point that it so fades from your memory. You begin to question something that at one time was so tangible, so indelible, that you think you could never question it. But then the upheaval starts. You start questioning yourself. Then you start questioning God. Then you start gaslighting. (laughs) No, not you. You start projecting, don't you? I mean, this is essentially what happens. I mean, the inference of, of this text is that Jesus is in such a deep state of sleep, they have to grab him and jar him. Teacher, don't you care that we are perishing? And if you have never gone through such a soul storm where you have felt that God was indifferent to what you were in, then you've never known the cost of purpose. Now, I can tell you without fear of contradiction, there have been many times over my life and the trajectory that my life has taken where I have questioned his intentions, but I've come to understand if I can endure the intensity, if I can just endure the intensity, I will discover ultimately his intentions. We hear a lot of people teach about faith, but rarely do we hear them talk about the essential component that goes with faith, and that has to do with patience. That has to do with patience. Your mind will always remind you of how far you haven't come (laughs) instead of how far you have come. It may be a stretch. You may think I am taking too much liberty with the text. But, you know, they don't, they don't take a moment to look at what is obvious. That this boat, this little primitive boat that is creaking and boards are coming loose. And there's no point to hoist sails. Because of the unpredictable nature of the Sea of Galilee at this moment It was a great windstorm. The implication is it was coming from above and beneath at the same time. Some scholars believe that there was actually at the bottom of the lake that there was seismic activity. So it was coming from above and from beneath. The word great is the word mega. That's the reason why I said Peter had never seen one like this. Growing up on this body of water... He'd never seen one like this. But like most of us, we forget that he says, let us pass over. Now, you know the story. I've already read it to you about what occurs that when Jesus finally gets up from his position of rest and he steps out now on the bow of the boat and he speaks great calm and stillness. See, this is one of the things right now that uh, is woefully missing in our culture because we live such frenetic lifestyles and our attention span is about that of a gnat. So much of the technology that is available to us, we're, I mean, we are drowning in a tsunami of information. So much of the technology that is available to us has diminished our ability to remain still in transition. And you do understand, don't you, that when Jesus used this word peace, that We have this tendency to think that peace is the absence of problems, and peace is not the absence of problems. Oh, I just like a few weeks where there was not something traumatic happening. And it continues because that is, again, a part of your curriculum because God is wanting you to understand that peace is not the absence of problems, that most of us seldom understand that what you consider to be a problem is really not a problem at all, but it's the way you see the problem that is the real problem. Perspective is everything. It's everything. They didn't know that they were in transition. They thought they were in trouble. That should be helpful to you. Some of you right now, and your trouble takes many different forms, and you are interpreting it as just being trouble, leading to trauma. If you could just get a different perspective, you'd begin to realize that it's not that at all. You're just in transition. And trust me, as I've already said, once you, once you finish that particular transition, he has another one waiting on you. <laughs> uh, several years ago, I, when I was reading this text, uh, and I'm, I'm not a mariner, I'm not a, a guy that sails, um, the only type of sailing I do are on these massive ocean liners, you know, they accommodate 5,000 passengers, you know, the kind that you go on as a passenger and when you get off your cargo. That's my speed. For everybody that's been on a cruise ship, you know what I'm talking about, right? You buffet yourself to death. Your eyes are always bigger than your stomach. Or maybe when you got off, it's the opposite of that. (laughs) But I decided as I'm looking at this, this great wind, this great storm, this body of water that is convulsing in the, in the state that they're in, I, I began to you know, decide, you know, I'm going to look at how this how the, this whole sailing dynamic and the physics of sailing relates to being in a storm or going against resistance. And I began to realize that it was very similar, that transitioning often involves learning to sail into the wind. Now that was very foreign to me, but the physics of sailing are rel- relatively easy as long as you happen to be going in the same direction that the wind is blowing. But when you're going directly into resistance, and, and this see this was a novel idea to me, and and I I begin to think about you know some of the Stuff that I've seen on television of the World Cup sailing competitions. And I see these guys out there, and the water is white capping. And I'm watching as the boat, boat tilts to, to the side. And I'm watching all these individuals on deck. And there's one that is grabbing rope and swinging the, the sail around. And there are others that are feverishly turning rudders. Uh, You you got the picture? You've seen that before? Because when you're sailing into, and that really is a picture of transition, when you're sailing into resistance, there is a way to make forward progress if the wind is against you. But you have to sail in a zigzag pattern. What they do is they, at 45 degree angles, they'll sail this way, catching the wind. And then, in that moment, they're in a no go zone. In sailors' terms, they're in irons. They reach a point making progress this way, and then the sails deflate. They have to turn again. Their rudder is basically of no use to them at this point. They have to turn again and then go this way. It's the zigzag pattern in order to get to where they want to go. You can imagine how treacherous this is too because if everybody on board is not paying attention, when that beam from the sail comes (laughs) flying across, if you're not paying attention, somebody's going in Somebody's going for a swim, so this takes a coordinated effort, doesn't it? I hope you're making the application. This takes a coordinated effort in sailing in that zigzag pattern. They can actually go into winds that are incredibly resistant, 25 to 30 miles an hour, and get to their ultimate destination. I thought, oh my God, I think I understand now why with God that the shortest distance between two points is seldom a straight line. (laughs) Oh, God showed you something. God revealed something to you. It was vivid. Then the heavens open up and the seas beneath you. And you get nauseous even at the reference to what God had said to you. This is essentially what's happening to these men. I wished I had better news for you that transition is something that you eventually mature and grow out of. I wished I could tell you that. But that's not the case at all. So if I am going to deal with a sequence of transitions, you know, I mean, take, here's an example. I didn't plan on incorporating this in it, but when God called Abram, most of you are well familiar with his old patriarch. He's 75 years old when God calls him. And you know that the way he's described in Hebrews is it says that he went out not knowing where he was going. That's pretty descriptive, isn't it? God waits till he's 75 years old. God waits until he is impotent and essentially incompetent. And then he chooses to disrupt his familiar context and call him to a place that he'd never even talked to anybody about that had been before. He is marching him off his map, taking him off the familiar parameters, taking him off the map. And I don't know how I had ever missed this until about a year ago. And I realized in the reading of Genesis that this is the first account of anyone traveling westward. We say, "Well, well, what does that imply? God was calling Abraham not toward the rising of the sun, but the setting of the sun. God was calling Abraham not to go toward the rising light, but taking him into the darkness. That speaks volumes to me, because in most cases in our, in our church settings, when we hear the, a reference to darkness, the immediate association is something diabolical or evil. But I can read to you in the book of Isaiah that that's not the case at all, because he created the light and the darkness. And he went on to say that I will give you the treasures of the darkness, Not only is this an unmitigated time of darkness culturally and in every other way, but we don't see what we fail to understand in these transitional times that we're in is God is leading us to those places where he has hidden treasures, not from us but for us. He's taking this man not only out of his proverbial comfort zone, a place where everyone spoke a language that he was familiar with that was culturally accommodating to him, but he's taking him into darkness. See, that is so counterintuitive to most of us. If we think we're walking by faith, we think that it should be always illuminating in nature when in reality God pathologically takes you into deeper places of darkness. I love what Barbara Brown Taylor says about this. She used to be an Episcopal priest in this city. She said, I've learned things in the darkness that I will never forget in the light. Now back to the storyline. There's at least three things that you are going to deal with. When it comes to, and I failed to tell you that this maneuver that I described to you in sailing is called tacking. Does anybody sail in here? Okay. It's called tacking, right? And I see that there are at least three things that you will deal with as it relates to tacking. Or going into the wind into resistance in the midst of transition the first one is personal opinion everybody will have an opinion about why you are where you are isn't that interesting and it will often masquerade as a word of knowledge sound like I hit a nerve. (laughs) I mean, it's the unsolicited armchair opinions of people that will rain down on you, and it will happen in transition. What you knew yesterday and what others knew about you could be entirely irrelevant right now. There are always plenty of people with negative energy that have a problem for every solution that is being made available to you. And this is something that came to me last week, and it was so helpful to me. See if it fits for you. I mean, before I get to that, you know, some of you right now are in the grip of fear that you might make a mistake if you keep going in the direction you're in. And I want to assure you, that the fear of making a mistake is greater than making a mistake but i began to realize as i took inventory of some of the people that i thought i thought i would be on this journey with them indefinitely we you know our our journeys converged at a certain point in time and i thought oh this is wonderful we're walking together and we're of mutual encouragement to one another. And then something disruptive happened. It was another, is this making sense to you at all? There was another, another disruptive moment that took place. And I began to realize not everyone you've related with in the past will understand your journey. And that's okay because not everyone will understand why you're reaching for more. And it's not their journey to make sense of anyway, it's yours. I mean, how many of you have ever had this look? Who are you? And what did you do with the person I once knew? See, the problem is, is they need you to stay where they are so that they feel okay. But in these transitional moments, you can't. I mean, these guys on this boat, do you think it ever occurred to them? I think so. Do you think it ever occurred to them, maybe we ought to turn around and go back? Which you already are finishing my thought. Which way is back? (laughs) Come on. I can't tell you how many times I have entertained that idea. I think, this is far enough. I think I'll go back. (laughs) My risk tolerance has reached its limit. And in that that moment, I have a lucid thought, and I'm thinking, which way is back? I wouldn't know how to get back to where I was. (laughs) So the first tacking point is personal opinion. The next one is personal advantage. This is an important one now. Personal advantage, because if you're gonna risk finding new possibilities and opportunities, some of the things, listen, some of the things that at one time were an advantage to you will become a disadvantage in transition. The last one, that doesn't mean I'm done, (laughs) is personal convenience. Personal opinion, personal advantage, personal convenience. I'm of the opinion that on the journey of faith that I've been on, where I've begun to understand that the opposite of faith is not doubt but certainty, that on the journey of faith that I've been on, that God is in no way, shape, or form concerned about my convenience (laughs) I love the words of uh, GK Chesterton this great English thought leader from years ago and I have to remind myself of this often kind of like you probably would have done well to have thought about this last night when you're stuck on the tarmac for an hour I think about this often because when things are disruptive and I'm trying to get somewhere because I'm so important and to (laughs) get, because I've got things to do, and then everything starts coming apart at the seams. Chesterton said that an inconvenience is an adventure misinterpreted. I understand the level of inconvenience that you guys have had just by being in this space. And it'd be much more convenient for you to be somewhere else. And that's not only true of you corporately as a resurgent, but it's true of where many of you are right now individually. I mean, it's really a tight space that you're in. It's, you're faced with inconvenience at every turn. Again, this is just an indication to you that you are in transition. It's all a matter of how you look at it. How many of you grew up hearing this? Sin will take you further than you want to go and stay longer than you want to stay, and pay more than what you want to pay. Anybody ever heard that? That was the cautionary tale in the, in the religious community I grew up in. Sin will take you further than you want to go, make you stay longer than you want to stay, and make you pay more. You know what? It dawned on me not long ago that my journey of faith has been the same way. <laughs> I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> it's, kind of, it's kind of like a new mother when she first finds out that the pregnancy test is positive. The euphoria... And in the weeks to come, the glow in her complexion, the texture of her hair, she would do anything to bottle that and be able to keep it that way, right? <laughs> but about 10 months in, <laughs> were <will> you listening? <laughs> when her abdomen is bloated and her feet are swollen and she's retaining water, And her center of gravity is so radically changed that when she doesn't just get up elegantly and gracefully to walk across the floor, she gets up like this. (laughs) Right? She doesn't understand what's going to be coming very soon when the labor starts, that in a few hours, She'll go into transition, and what she gives birth to will totally wash away the memory of all the inconvenience and all all of the changes that had to take place in her to accommodate new life. Some of you right now, you probably don't feel like you're making very much progress, and I hope that I, what I have said to you thus far has been somewhat helpful. And, and you, you need, just need to be reminded that making progress towards your destiny is, I mean, it's exciting when you're striding with these long, decisive steps, you know. I know where this is going. But then all of a sudden you find yourself stumbling, you know, but understand this, that stumbling involves moving forward, even though it's incrementally. I've never heard of anybody stumbling backwards. If you stumble, you stumble forward. And it's not as graceful as it once was. But you are moving. You're in transition. I, I just feel that many of you are on the cusp I, I felt this when I came in this morning if I can be so personal I felt when I came in this morning that you as resurgent are on the cusp of something that is unlike anything you have ever seen and I don't usually I don't say those things lightly it doesn't feel like it it may not look like it The deck is being shuffled. People are moving in. People are moving out. It's all part of the curriculum. It's all part of the transition training. It's causing you to come to a deeper understanding of God's ultimate purpose for you. I mean, there is a saying that that uh, floated around for a long time, and everybody piggybacked on it after the movie, The Field of Dreams. You remember, if you build it, they will come. The truth is, yeah, if you build it, they will come. If Jesus builds it, they will go. This came to me while we were worshiping earlier. How many of you have ever heard of the super bloom that took place, I think the first time was in 98, in Death Valley? You're not familiar with it? Oh good, I get to tell you something new, (laughs) because everything else I've said so far, you all knew that. Death Valley, a place of desolation, as far as the eye can see, arid desert, temperatures that peak over 120 during the day. A place, that's why it's called Death Valley. Now, you can fact check me on this. I'm not far off. In 98, I think it was, there was a phenomenon that occurred. There hadn't been rain in decades. I mean, you can imagine, as far as you can see, the the cracked ground. And the heavens opened up. There was a change somehow in the jet stream, I suppose, coordinated with what was coming from higher altitudes. The heavens opened up. And drenched Death Valley. And this was the phenomenon that went on later to be called the superbloom. What was desolation when it was now blanketed with a kaleidoscope of flowers. I checked on it during the worship because that was the image that I had for some of you. And there is somewhat of an anticipated superbloom to come again this year to Death Valley. The reason why I felt important to tell you because I think many of you feel like because you're in transition, you're in a very desolate place. But, I mean, wait a minute. Think about this. I mean, where were these? Some of you feel very dormant. Where were these seeds? They had been laying there beneath the ground for decades, waiting on atmospheric change that would awaken them to press through the ground and to bring the beauty that only they could bring. That's some of you here this morning. If that resonates with anybody, I want you to stand to your feet right now. Lord, there are people here that you've hidden for very, very long seasons. Uh, They've not been hiding, but you've hidden them. There are people here this morning as well that feel abandoned. I mean, some of them, Lord, have rich family connections, but they feel abandoned by you, they feel forgotten. And as odd as it seems to us, as illogical as it seems to us, you have allowed that to go on because you have reserved a time. You reserved a specific time where you would bring the former and the latter reign all at one time. And in so doing, you would awaken those things that even they have forgotten about. I assure you that there's some of the promises that God has made to many of you that you have forgotten, but He has not forgotten, and it gives Him great joy to remind you of what He originally told you. For people right now, Lord, that are in what they consider to be a severe transitional state, may they recognize what we've attempted in our feeble words here this morning. May they recognize that what you said over them what you said over them as you did to your disciples let us pass over Lord some of us probably missed it but when they, when they set out on this there were other little boats the Bible says little boats and there's no mention of that when they got to the other side there's a lot of other little things little thinking people that will not survive the transition that they're in What happened to those boats? They probably sank. So Lord, we thank you that you are within us, revealing yourself to us in this transitional moment. That there are people in this room right now that are getting ready to experience an outpouring that is unlike anything that have ever experienced, that will awaken the seeds of destiny that are only dormant, They're only dormant. That's all it is. It's dormancy. There's still viability in everything that God has said to you. And I just sense and know that he is getting ready to awaken in you that which you have forgotten.